Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Masterpiece Theatre. On tonight's episode, we'll be... No, we're not. Uh, hi, folks. I'm Timothy Harvey. Uh, Mr. Hunt is approaching with... I'm away. I, uh, I brought us down coffee and uh, remembered, of course, I get to the bottom of the stairs and Jason likes sugar in his coffee. Luckily, we have some sugar down here. Uh, and so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. See, this only right. works though <clears throat> if I bring over my cat, Hamish, <clears throat> and he sits in this chair. It, uh, yes, that it would work. It would work for that. I do believe. Um, however, I don't think this is going to be a likelihood. Uh, a, he doesn't like riding in cars, and B, he doesn't know Jason's pets. So, I'm sure it would not go well. Although he is actually the largest animal, um, he would be the largest animal in the room. Uh, aside from the human animals, uh, because the dog types are relatively small, and the cat types that I've seen so far this evening are relatively small. small. But Hamish is like, you know, he's this, he's grown into this giant cat, um, and he's only two and a half, and he's not fat, he's just big. Um, he stands at his hind legs and his he's, head comes up to my hip. He's a very solid, sure cat. solid cat. Um, it, no, not really, because of course uh, Hamish was um, the cat that I found, <clears throat> I guess two years now, uh, out in the cold. I came home, I'd come home uh, from work and I'd hear a cat crying. Or I'd be sitting in my apartment at like 10 o'clock at night and hear a cat crying. And I'd go outside and I could never find him. And then one day I came back, I was filming a, a, some, a friend's performance, and I went out to a rehearsal for it, and, and came back home and found somebody, some nice person in my apartment building had built, had put out some cloth, cl- uh, some rags and, and towels and stuff. He made himself a little nest there, um, and so I brought him in, and, and then he stayed. So we don't know, the first six months of his life, no clue, so he could be a... Uh, miniature tiger, for all I know. <laughs> um, he is a big cat. He's a big cat. Now, he's got a little sister now, uh, Moira, who is, um, she's the tiny panther, but she's a little black thing about yay big. It's like, you know, eight or nine inches from nose to tail. Right. Uh, and uh, she's got a little white her, patch. Check that over here. Hey. A little white patch on her chest. Um, and... Uh, they're getting along extremely well, which is really nice. Although Hamish is, is a little... You can tell he's a little put out from time to time when she's getting attention. And he's just like... Our junior office cat, mm-hmm. Lily, spends a great deal of time here in the, in, in the basement. Uh, and only recently has started to come up to socialize with everybody else Mm -hmm. and part of that has been bribery sure sure um because 
cats like turkey, apparently. They have been known to, to accept it. And cheese. And, and Some since cats we, do. Not all do. Um, my uh, Hamish is like, what is this orange thing you have put before me? Bat. And it's gone. And he, he will never think of it again. Hello, Thomas in the chat. Moira uh, will eat anything. Moira will literally eat. Uh, I uh, had... I had a toy poodle when I was a kid, when I was in junior high school. Cheese was his candy mm -hmm. crack. It's just, you know, your American cheese slices, and he would just go through it like it was going out of style. Gimme, 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 gimme. Um, I, had, I had seen that there, you know, cats love uh, Cheetos. Oh, I had yeah. seen this thing online, you know, very soon. And I had never actually given a Cheeto to any of my cats. I've had cats since I was 20. And I have never given a Cheeto to a cat. And I gave the Cheeto, again, to the cat who does not like cheese. And he just was just like... Yes. yes. I, when okay. I was... Uh, it was about... I guess maybe... Maybe it's been about 10 years now. I had a... I had a long hair orange. Mm. Foul temper cat. <laughs> and his jaw would stick out. Mm -hmm. So it was all... Completely square, right, yeah, yeah. right? And I dropped a piece of pineapple on the floor in the kitchen one night. And he went over to it. What's this? And it was gone. Yeah. I mean, just like that. Gone. Inhaled it. He didn't even chew it. Mm -hmm. You know, pineapple chunk. I was like, this thing's almost as big as your head. <laughs> and it was gone. And I was like, okay, this cat likes pineapple. Who knew? Well, yeah, Hamish will eat. If you put, like, a head of lettuce in front of him, he will eat it. He loves lettuce. Oh. Um, right. Just the regular? Well, I don't put the whole head of lettuce down, so what a waste of a head of lettuce. Uh, but no, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get a head of lettuce and I'll make some salad or I'll, you know, make a BLT or something. And he'll look at that lettuce and be like, please? <laughs> and I'll give him a whole leaf and he'll just be like, just... Just bust off Junior office dog is kind of the same way. For the wedding, I made a. Is that all? Uh, is that mic on? The mic is on. Yes. Okay, because I'm not seeing anything over there when you talk to it. I touched it. Is it on? That's the. Ah. See. Yes. No. So junior still office still recovering dog. from the holiday. <laughs> Junior office dog got a piece of every piece of fruit that made it into the fruit salad. Yeah. And the only one she was not sure about was the blueberry because it rolled away from her. Ah, yes. <laughs> well, and and speaking of rolling away, before we get too far into this, let's let's roll away from our first digression of the night and let's talk a little bit about these. first digression well we, we talked about our, we talked about coffee like we admitting talked, to ourselves we talked about coffee we've got mugs we've got mugs for sale so uh Jeez. they are available in the in the store that we've set up over on Zazzle. we're still i'm still trying to figure out what's going on with the salacious crumbs mug Still have issues with that, huh? Yeah, I haven't gotten anything. I haven't gotten an answer back from anybody uh, there, so we're still looking at that. And um, of course, if you would like to help us, because uh, we're only on one camera again tonight, because we have cameras, and the cameras work. The cameras just don't work in tandem with each other, in concert with each other. So we're going to make that a goal for 2020: is to be able to get camera equipment that all 
cooperates with each other. So it's a reasonable goal. So if anyone wants to help us with that, we do have an account over at Subscribestar that's set up that you can uh, sign up for and subscribe to if you are so inclined. It is by no means obligation. Uh, we do appreciate any support that you have. And, of course, that support also comes in the form of likes and shares and subscribes sure. and comments and, and that sort of thing. And then we also have a discount code set up over at SuperheroStuff.com. Sci-Fi for me 10 gets you 10% off your order. And maybe uh, maybe you get you some Ghostbusters merch while you're over there. Why, do, why, why would they want to do that? We don't have a whole lot here. We don't actually... Do I don't think any? we have any. No. We don't have any Ghostbusters sports. We will have to rectify that. Well, so that's that's not unreasonable, considering that the movies came out 30 years ago, plus. Mm-hmm. Um, the cartoon, um, about 20 years ago. Right. Uh, well, one of the versions of the cartoon. The real Ghostbusters. The real Ghostbusters. And a lot of the toys were... Not that recent. I mean, there's yeah. been most of that's been in the because a lot of, there were a lot of toys that came out real with the real Ghostbusters uh, cartoon, right? Um, and if you've if you've uh, I think it was IDW was doing the Ghostbusters comics for a while. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and they they basically if they <clears throat> whichever flavor of the Ghostbusters you wanted, they actually had an option for you because they they did, they had a big uh, crisis of of Ghostbusters Earth thing going on over there. I thing. remember that. And they brought in every incarnation from the movies, including the most recent, uh, the the recent film. 2016. And, and they actually, um, I, I didn't read the entire run, but uh, I actually found some of it was pretty fun. I thought they, yeah. did, they did a good job of, of capturing, overall capturing the voice of the characters, which was nice. And it reminded me um, and, and watching, the, watching the new Ghostbusters trailer, it reminded me with the biggest Sin. I ultimately decided what I thought was the biggest sin of the of the most recent one. Oh, because you actually had a cast that that, given the right material, they're very talented cast. A lot of really really talented comedic actors. But they tried to make an '80s movie. Mm. A lot of people complained that they were basically making the '84 movie over again. Exactly, and that's the problem. And that, and and. The problem is, is that if you're going to do a remake like that, and you're going to set it in modern day, you can't make a 1980s comedy mm. because it doesn't work. No, there. I mean, the all you have to do is go back and look at, at what the biggest the, the the films we remember fondly, the big comedies we remember fondly from the 80s, and you look at if you were to try to roll those films out now, it just wouldn't work. So yeah. A lot of it was situational, a lot of it was cultural, a lot of it was the stuff that we were actually, you know, it was the world that you were living in. Well, I think it's that. Plus, yeah, I think age. I think nowadays too, from a cultural societal standpoint, everybody is wearing their sensitivity on their sleeves anymore. I mean, uh, everybody gets offended at every little there's, thing. There's certainly something and to that. You uh, couldn't you couldn't do 80% of the comedy that was out in the 80s. Well, right? and but a lot of that comedy hasn't necessarily aged well even outside of the cultural changes. And some of it has to do with the fact that jokes that were original in the 80s are just so played out. 
we've heard them again and again and again we and again. Have. Yeah, we have. But the thing is that you, when you get into something like the the Ghostbusters reboot, whatever they were trying to call it, it was essentially. I mean, they were essentially trying to remake the to start the franchise over, basically remake right. the first film. Except they stole. They they took a lot. Stole a lot. Of ideas from the second movie, which was not a good idea, by the way. <laughs> um, the second Ghostbusters film um, was not, not the strongest. Good. So, I, I mean, for however you feel about the 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 lot of the lot of things that are wrong with the reboot, um, and there's a lot of different things re- reasons people can complain about it. It's it makes you wonder, especially after watching this trailer, mm-hmm. what would happen if they would have sat there and said, let's make a movie set in the Ghostbusters universe with these actors, let's go do our little Ghostbusters movie, but instead of sitting there and going, let's pretend that the other thing didn't, you know, this is a right. brand new thing, and then recycling story ideas, because we've, we've talked a few times on this show, yeah. a couple of bazillion, about recycled story ideas and how people you know sometimes it's we've recycled topics ourselves a couple of three hundred times well now, now Thomas asking uh, have in the chat have we watched the movies that made us episode about Ghostbusters is that is that part of the toys that made us series I have not I have not seen mm-hmm. it um, what I think happened with Ghostbusters 2016 I think it was a perfect storm of a number of mistakes missteps starting with a bad script a bad script Mm. um and personally i just don't think that melissa mccarthy is funny at all she's too crude it depends on the context for me i won't argue that though and and it's just for me it's just not you know oh melissa mccarthy okay now her cousin is funny jenny mccarthy has abs- absolutely she's got uh, a pretty decent comedic timing sense mm-hmm. um i mean she's not great you know fantastic oh she's the the most wonderful comedian ever but she i i find her funnier than melissa mccarthy and you had that you had for so many years Dan Aykroyd sitting there talking about wanting to make the next one, the third one. And there was the idea. Everybody wanted this third Ghostbusters that Dan Aykroyd had been talking about. Well, except... Except Bill Murray. Murray. We all knew Bill Murray didn't want to do it, would never come back. And then he shows up at that award ceremony wearing a Ghostbusters costume. And that fueled everybody. Oh, is it coming back? Is it coming back? No, it's not. And then we get word that Sony's making this Ghostbusters movie. Well, everybody gets excited because now we're finally making it. Oh, no, it's not. We're retelling the first one with an all-female kid. We're just gender-flipping everything. And so when people reacted badly to that idea, because on the surface of it, it's a dumb idea. Why would you tell the same story over again? Why not tell us a new story? And then... Sony compounded the problem by saying, this is not our sequel. It's kind of a reboot, but not really a reboot. It's sort of a recall, and we're like, what's that? And they didn't have any plan. They, they, their whole official line was, starting from scratch, this is not connected to the other two. And then their first trailer, 30 years later. Yeah. 
like, make up your mind. Yeah, it, it's... Um, and then when the people blew up and said, this is, doesn't look good, yeah. then you had the keyboard warriors all coming out to say, well, if you don't like this idea, you're a sexist, misogynist, you know, male chauvinist pig. And I was like, no, this looks like a bad movie. And then Paul Feig doubled down, the director of the movie, mm-hmm. who said, well, if you don't want women ghostbusters, you're a misogynist, sexist, racist pig. And that was the marketing for the movie. And the movie did not do well. No, it didn't. Because it was a bad movie. didn't have anything to do with the fact that it was females. Everybody that complained about the movie said, you want women ghostbusters? That's fine. Well, Make no, them a franchise of the everybody. original. Not everybody, but but, but for the yeah, majority for, of people that were down and saying, we don't want this, it's because it wasn't connected to the other two. Well, and I think that... Because Ackroyd's, Ackroyd's original idea was franchises in all the yeah. different states. So well, no, his original idea those. was Ghostbusters in Hell. Yeah, well, and so then you could do... The, yeah. yeah, but he had, he had talked about at one point... Mm. As part of the story, you could franchise the Ghostbusters, and that way you could have different casts yeah. in different cities. You could tell different stories. Sure, that's what we wanted. Well, I think a lot of people, a lot of people wanted a lot of different things. They originally, they really, really wanted the original cast back. I think at the end yeah. of the day, that was the, and no matter in in like I said, it's I don't. The script is such a. It's a rehash. It's just a rehash. It's it not. It's one of those things where. And you know what? This is. It would not be the first film in in history to basically do this. It's we've had remake after remake after remake. And some have said that the Force Awakens does that. Right. And, to a certain extent. And and so you know your mileage is going to vary on how you feel about that sort of thing. On the other hand, um, it was you know, not the eighties. You can't make an eighties movie. You can't remake an eighties movie that has. The cachet that that Ghostbusters has, and then on top of that, you add in everything else that's going on with the marketing of the film and all the social media blo- bu- uh, blowback and all these different things. I'm going to argue so many things they could have done differently, and they just they didn't. could have done everything differently, right. and maybe could have saved it. Hmm. Now I'm going to I've got to argue one know. point with you. In that I think, and again, this comes down to execution, like we talked before. You could do an 80s movie now if it's done right. Well, and there's another trailer that came out yeah. this week that, yes. that does and that. it looks like it does that. But here's the thing. Um, it doesn't do... It's not doing an 80s movie. It's doing a movie set in the 80s, and those are very different things. That's true, but the marketing of the movie the is marketing very 80s. marketing is genius. Everything screams uh, of course, we're talking about the Wonder Woman. Wonder trailer. Woman eighty four, and and it's I got to tell you that the the uh, talk about programmed. Mm-hmm. We have the the music comes in, and literally my foot starts uh-huh. tapping, <laughs> and I'm like, well, and then then you get the well, then of course you've got some you've got some some, and it's not very there's not very much of it yet, but there's some. Uh, uh, gritching from the Marvel fans that are sitting there going, "Oh, well, this is just Thor Ragnarok." And instead of instead of flying, she's throwing a lasso around lightning. And it was, I was like, "No, no, no, <laughs> hold okay. it." Yeah, yeah, that's just that's, no. Um, and I, I thought it was really, really clever giving us Maxwell Lord as a villain. Although my my one quibble with that 
is that Maxwell Lord is not a blonde in the comic books. Well, and, and, and given the hairstyle that Pedro Pascal is wearing, I have to wonder. I have to wonder because you've got to. He, he looks. It looks like they did it on purpose to make him look like Donald Trump. And I would say maybe, but I would also say, cast your mind back, sir, to our teenage years in the 80s. And that hairstyle was around... The hairstyle. A lot. But Maxwell Lord never wore his hair like that. Well, but And also, it was dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, Maxwell Lord is... Uh, Did he have a mustache, too? No. No. Uh, he's been dead. He's been a hero. He's been a villain. Um, he's but been he's a machine. never been blonde. It's a multiverse. <laughs> Relax. I'm just saying. Uh, but no, it's it's um, uh, the fascinating thing is is that he, um, it's an interesting throwback because of course in the '80s his appearance was in Justice League International, which was the funny Justice League title. Yeah. And um, so I'm not I'm not sure uh, what they're going to do here, but it's interesting because uh, the. The visual texture, it captures, it does capture that that feeling we got watching old, when we were watching TV in the 80s. And what you see, if you still watch a VHS, there's that texture. Uh-huh. And it was interesting, with, in coming back to the Ghostbusters trailer, um, I went and watched the Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters trailers. And the visual texture to the new movie is completely different. And some of it, I think, is location. New York was a character sure. in the first film. Yeah. New York was very much, you know, the, the, the canyons of skyscrapers, right? And so seeing Ecto-1 in a field <laughs> is such an interesting thing. And yet at the same time, you look at the, the framing. This is, you know, this is 235. This is yeah. real widescreen. And then, but the trailers for uh, Ghostbusters were, you know, 16, I think 16.9. Wow. Um, and even then it was, you know, there were TV trailers, uh, in some cases, so you sit there and it was two, three, and it's such a weird thing. I'm looking at this and going, um, "There's a visual feel to this film." Somebody did their homework. That I'm like, this is really interesting, and I felt really kind of uh, uh, watching these two trailers, both of which, one set in the '80s, and of course, you know, for all that Jason and I talk about, you know, our age. 80s were our teenage years. Those are your defining years, right? Those are, and of course, the 80s was a great time for music. Uh, for some people, it was a great time for fashion. I'm gonna make some arguments there. Speaking uh, of which, um, you you see that uh, Gal Gadot is wearing Linda Carter's wardrobe from the series. There is that. There's that running moment where she's running. And I was just like. They sat down, and when they wrote the script, they went, this is where we have the Linda Carter running scene. Yep. Yep. And I was like, excellent. It's perfect. And I think in, in a large part, um, how I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating, based on the strength of the first film, this is probably going to be a good film. It could be bad. You never know. Um, but just based on, on what we've heard from the various people involved uh, over time, whether it's the, we're talking about the original film or things like that, they love the character. They love Linda Hamilton's Wonder Woman. Linda, Linda, Carter's. Linda Carter's. Linda Hamilton as Wonder Woman would have been a completely a different Very thing. different feel. That's right. But it would have been interesting. Well, we also had, uh, was it? Uh, Kathy Lee Crosby. Kathy Lee Crosby, which yeah. was also a different thing. But anyway. And she actually showed up in the comic books. Yeah. In, yeah. Uh, what was it, in Multiversity or something? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so you, um, the fact that they are they are acknowledging that and really giving it the, you know, 
yes, we love this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels like it. It doesn't feel like, you know, let's give them the Linda. No, it feels like let's sell. So let's have this thing where it's just. The, I mean, it feels like it anyway. Yeah, and and you have nice to see. the that that aesthetic, and done wrong, you end up with the Dukes of Hazard or Starsky and Hutch oh, or yeah. the Beverly Hillbillies or any number or one of these. Although, although I will that. say that the, of of all of those, the first Beverly Hillbillies film was at least in the zip code of the kind of humor of the original, of the TV show. Uh, I'm not saying it was a good movie, because... It wasn't? It wasn't. But then again, the Beverly Hillbillies TV show... Okay, guys. It's a classic. funny. But it's not great TV. It's not not great TV, but great TV usually is not the stuff that lasts. Well, and Depends. I think I think Depends. yeah, I think I think the this great TV and memorable to you, yeah, um, are very different things. We're very there's a whole bunch of us who are very very fond of the original Battlestar Galactica, but it's not good television, mm. and it's bad science fiction. Doesn't mean it's not. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. And come at me, Battlestar original fans. I'm all right. With, I'm I no um, no. I'm just kidding. The but the I mean it's. It was what it was meant to be, which was basically we're capitalizing on Star Wars. Yeah, and but it, it built a, la- a lasting legacy of comic books and novels, and you know the 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 reboot, and now we're getting another Battlestar Galactica series uh, that, for good or for maybe. ill, right? You know, maybe. What I mean, or maybe a movie. Yeah, no, I mean, for, and and for good or for ill, you know. So, but the thing is, is that it had legs, you know, and the the idea that that. A, a show that was on for really as short a period of time yeah. as it was would have that kind of lasting power is kind of amazing. But at the time, audiences who had just come to see Star Wars weren't getting science fiction on television. There wasn't a lot out there for them. It was Space 1999. And Which actually holds Buck up pretty Rogers. well if you go back and, and you go back and check it out. And considering how many people I know who've never seen Space 1999... Um, Speaking of which, yeah, I shall. Where's digress. our Space 1999 reboot? I shall digress <laughs> for just a moment here. Uh oh. Because we have to roast Mrs. Uh oh. Let me let me adjust the camera here for a second. Mindy, what haven't you watched now? Um, what haven't I watched? So- and I, yes, I have seen an episode of Space 1999. She, she actually saw Breakaway. I sat and watched it. Okay, okay. Showed it to her. On VHS, which so, I know what that is. Over, over <laughs> the weekend, we use here, here, we Did use... Have a, a, a crank on the side of the, of the, of the player so we wound up properly? Uh, yeah, yeah, ham, hamster <laughs> in the wheel in the back, yeah. Make sure the, 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 so <laughs> we use a Slack management tool here to coordinate all of the work that everybody is doing. I got an email Friday or Saturday about the centennial the cent, centennial for Isaac Asimov in January. Because mm. January 2nd, I believe, is his birthday. He's going to be, you know, he would have been 100 if he'd been around. So I post in Slack a request for ideas. What should we do to, you know, to honor Isaac Asimov? And I get a text on my 
Oh. Who's Isaac Asimov? Who is that? In my defense, in my defense, I read and I've (laughs) read mixture of books and everything like that, but I've never gone backwards to find out where it all started. So she she says, educate me a little bit. And I was like, okay, well, you know, iRobot, you know, you've got the robot trilogy, you've got Foundation. But unfortunately, you say iRobot, the first thing that a lot of people think. The Will Struth movie, movie, yes, exactly. Which Which I never saw. And. It, like, is, it is a very entertaining Will Smith movie. It's a terrible Isaac Asimov adaptation. Oh, yeah. It's, but it's, it's, it's an entertaining sci-fi uh, uh, afternoon, hour and a half. So. I enjoyed it. Now, now we have to put some Asimov yeah, yeah. on the on Now, the admittedly, for, for those of you who are the TV and movie science fiction fans who whom because i mean not we all come in it from different ways some people come in through the books and comics and, and movies and tv and and but not everybody comes in the same way so you may not be a reader or that may not be your primary way you're getting your science fiction and there have not been a lot of great asimov adaptations i don't think there have been any there have been um attempts um the who's, Har- who's going to do amazon uh, who's going to do foundation is that amazon or sci-fi Somebody is working on foundation. I thought it was sci-fi, but I could be wrong. Um, Now, Asimov was an idea writer for a lot of you who haven't read this stuff. He had a lot of really great ideas. A lot of his... And he wrote a lot more short stories than he wrote novels. He wrote a lot of novels. He did a lot of science stuff, too. He was a scientist as well as a writer. And a lot of... of, uh, A legitimate complaint some people have had about Asimov is that his stuff is more about the idea and less about... Uh, things happening so much. His his books are not necessarily fast paced. There are a lot of them about the, the about concepts and and I mean the his foundation series, the one that you know this adaptation that we're we're possibly getting. The main character really is a historian Apple. and a psychiatrist, Apple a psychologist. TV. Apple, okay. Um, and and the you know the it's about psychology and theory and mind control and all sorts there's really cool things happening in there yep. but it's going to be a challenge to the writers to capture the voice mm. that made Asimov Asimov his fiction really right. really powerful but also be compelling television or be a compelling film uh, now Ro- Robert in the chat makes that point hi Robert uh, Foundation is long overdue for a movie not a lot of action though right and I think that the the interesting thing now though is that because we have so many options uh, to get consumer content. If somebody wants to invest in making a show that is not necessarily fast-paced, you can do that. Sure. And you can find an audience for it because some, there are some folks who are willing to have something unfold slowly to get the real powerful mm. ideas. It's something like Asimov um, did a lot with really, really powerful ideas. Now, if you want a fast-paced... Uh, dramatic series, somebody make the Caves of Steel books into <laughs> their, their science fiction detective Here, thrillers. Here's what I'm wondering. Oh, they'd be so good. With so, robots and, cy- and and androids and murder. It's going to be great. So 80s movies are coming back. Vinyl is already back. Yeah. We are getting back to the balkanization of channels. So it's the reinvention of cable all over yeah, again. Yeah, uh-huh. We're going back to the weekly 
release of episodes. Marty, you have to see what's happening with your kids. This is what we're turning into. What if <laughs> Time drop. at some point in the next year or two, the network miniseries comes back? Well, we're six are, hours or eight hours. But I we're mean, already seeing that. I mean, there's uh, the Watchmen might. There's a, a, there's a discussion happening online right now where people are talking about Lindehoff may have intended for Watchmen to be a one season and done. That may be the intent, and people they're acting direct asking directors of the episodes to yeah. what do they know, and they're going can't tell you, and it's like. But it's still coming out one hour episode at a time. Right. But I mean, it would be, for American audiences, something that comes out is nine episodes long, ten episodes long, and then they stop. Yeah. There's no intent to do a sequel. I mean, that's a very British model. But it's the closest American, I mean, that's the, the British model, we've talked about this before, is often like a six episode thing, eight episode thing, and they're done. Or they might do two seasons. It's like, that's all I intended to do. Yeah. Well, and and with the the network miniseries as I'm as as we experienced it, sure, Roots, the Thornbirds, uh, North, uh, North and South, uh, the original V, the V, Martian Chronicles. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see a new Martian Chronicles, but that that you know, two hour movie and a two hour movie and a two hour movie, yeah. and now you've got a six hour story. Well, and and you saw some of that over with how. Um, they put out uh, the uh, the BBC put out Sherlock. Yeah. It was an hour and a half, two hour movies, three of them, and then the season that was the whole season. Legends of the Fall, Robert says. Um, uh, there's Legends of the Fall, the Brad Pitt one. Because that was the Legends of the that was the, the that, I think that's that. There was a there was a movie. Yeah, I think so. And um, was there a miniseries? I don't know. I know that I know that the uh, the movie the movie made me angry. <laughs> We've strayed way yeah, off topic. But well, let's circle back to 80s. Well, just to, to, a, to a degree we did. Because one thing that I have noticed, I've seen today, I've been kind of keeping my eye profile. I've been, I've been editing Salacious Crumbs, which there's a new one out tonight. And I've kind of peripherally been keeping track of reactions to the Ghostbusters sure. thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm irritated at what really i'm irritated at the <laughs> dinguses who are sitting there going oh this this ghostbusters movie looks like stranger things um okay well mem memo to the internet ghostbusters came first and stranger things is a love letter from the people, from p creators who grew up in the 80s yes. to their own childhoods. The kids dressed up as Ghostbusters because there was a Ghostbusters movie already. Well, you people need to learn history. There are things what happened before you were born, it's a thing. Well, I can I can sit and say I I kind of in a little bit of a way understand what is one you talked about the you know Echo One in a field in the middle of nowhere. When I started watching this, I had to double check the link that I was on in YouTube. Am I watching something for Ghostbusters? Because I'm so used to right, right. the movies that I grew up with yeah, and like this is looking 
this is looking like a horror flick where, you know, you've got the house in the middle of nowhere and this and that. And when you think about some of the visuals that you get with Stranger Things with the other, you know, the reverse, I forget what it's called, but the other side, you know, just the glowing stuff here and there, and you're not quite sure. I can kind of get, not the whole 80s bit where they're dressed up and all that stuff, because I haven't well, gotten this far into it, doesn't it help this it, week, yeah, but It doesn't still. help that Finn Wolfhard is in both. Right. You've got a kid from Stranger Things, and he actually talked in, a, in an interview about the fact that when he sent in his audition tape, he was fairly certain that he would not get it because yeah. of the Stranger Things vibe and all this other stuff. Um, I actually think that the change of location is going to help because your 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 protagonist family mm-hmm. and by all clues in the in the trailer, this is Egon's family. Right. Or so they are fish out of water mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. And so are we. Right. we. We are displaced from our usual haunts in New York, and now we're out in usual haunts. our usual haunts. I did that on purpose because I'm clever that way. But we're in Oklahoma, yeah. and that is going to help with the disorientation yeah. because we get to sympathize with these characters that are now somewhere where they don't want to be mm-hmm. and why are we here and what are we doing here and oh wait who are you yeah so the interesting thing i found that i i, I think is quite clever I, i'm waiting to see what this how it plays out but the fact is it's not particularly funny the trailer is not there's there's no there's not the expected what you would almost expect mm-hmm. with a film that's going to star these the, the original cast is back in this film. You don't see a single one of them in the trailer. You don't hear, uh, well, you hear a voice saying something that sounds remarkably like us, what a certain character said in the first film. But I if think you that's listen Paul to, Rudd saying If that. you listen to that voice, though, it's not... Yeah, I know. It's But you... you the, the, the very curious thing about it is how much they do not lean into mm. the idea that this is, we're going to make you laugh. What they're le- what they're basically leading into is this sense almost of rediscovering yeah. the Ghostbusters as a thing, and it's part of the plot, obviously from the trailer, but also the idea that it's been thirty years since we've seen these actors playing this part. It's been thirty years since we've gone back and had you know seriously five years ago, guys. If you had said that we were going to get a Ghostbusters film where Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray were going to be on screen together, I would have told you... I, Never going to happen. When I, it'll, if it happens before I die, <laughs> I'll be surprised. And I'm younger than both of those guys by 20-some years. I, so, I have a theory. Because I've seen some reaction videos. Uh, Jeremy Hambly over the quartering was kind of, yeah, kind of milk toast trailer mm. and whatnot. I and you it a see lot. the 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 reactions comparing it to Stranger Things and all of that. So my thinking is, with the absence of the original cast, you're leading this trailer with Paul Rudd, mm. who right now hot to trot. He's he's the guy you want to put in your movie because he's Paul Rudd. He's such a good guy. 
-hmm. not just fun to watch on camera because you know he's he's got that talent he's got that sense of comedic timing and he never ages he also has he's a highlander i know i know and and he's got the the avengers gravitas to come with him so you've got that audience that's coming over the stranger things vibe all of this is to bring in the younger group first get them because our generation, our the the people in in our group that are the original Ghostbusters right. fans, we're on board because for the most part we hated 2016. Give us the real stuff. We know they're coming now. And, here's and, here's what happens in Phase Two. Mm-hmm. So we establish our fish out of water, rediscovering all of that in in Phase One. Bring in bring in younger mm-hmm. audience. Then you bring in the original cast, but you only do so much because people are wondering how much they're really going to be in it. Right, sure. And we're told they have significant roles. They're not just cameos. They're part of the story. Right. So what I'm thinking is that they discovered that Egon is, you know, Grandpa was a Ghostbuster. What Mm -hmm. does that mean? Paul Rudd, he's the fanboy who's going to be able to do all of the exposition. Mm Mm-hmm. And running away from the terror dogs, mm-hmm. and maybe possessed by the terror dog. And of course, if Paul Rudd gets possessed by a terror dog, he can pull it off. Oh yeah. Now I've seen I've seen the people who are saying that this this could be the chance we're going to get to get Rick Moranis back on screen. I'd say that's a lovely idea, and if he makes an appearance, that'll be amazing. But for those of you who, in case you don't know. Uh, his wife died years ago, and he decided that he was going to step away from acting right. and just spend time with his family. And it, that is a decision that has worked out really, really well for him as far as everything that he's said. So if he comes back, that would be a beautiful, beautiful thing to have at that moment. But don't get your hopes up, and yeah. don't be disappointed, because for however much the fans might want it, his life is a different thing now. And that's a willing All, choice that he's made. Although... I did run across an interview at one point, and I don't remember how far back this was, where he had said that he was starting to open back up to some smaller. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is why, dogs. you know, if he, you if know, he the shows kids, up. The kids have grown up. Yeah. They're they're adults. They're out on their own now, and and of course he's been enjoying retirement, and, yeah. and he's, it's it's relaxing. But for something like this, given that everybody is back, it would be very very cool. It would be very. It'd cool. be a beautiful thing. But again, I wouldn't I wouldn't get too too comfortable with the thought yet. Robert says he suspects the franchise will be done after this one, despite an attempt to renew it, like we did with Star Wars. Maybe you just don't know. I mean, the, the reality is is that. When you try and bring these things back, there is a, you know, um, for for the success of the new Halloween uh, mm. reboot or or see, the sequel to the original Halloween film, right? right? And you you turn around and then have a film like um, Terminator Dark Fate, which is a sequel to really to this you know to the, the second, second film, right. and it it basically it it. Technically, on paper, it does pretty much everything more or less right or better than some of the things they did before or not as bad as some things or some things aren't perfect, whatever it is. For whatever it is, it didn't work for audiences. And then you get into something... The reason for that, and I don't mean to interrupt there, but Dark Fate did the exact same thing that that 
Ghostbusters 2016 did. We're going to tell the same story over again, and we're going to gender flip it. Well, except that I would say that no, because in a broad sense, they, that's what well, they did. if you want to do with the broads, broad sense, you have to go pretty broad because they actually had a decent script for Dark Fate. And whether, the, but I think there's a very good argument to make that there comes a point when we really are burnt out on sequels. Predator, uh, Predators, not the most recent Predator film, but the uh, one with uh, uh, Adrian Brody. Brody. I really enjoyed that film. I thought it was of the Predator films, it wasn't great or anything and admittedly prior to that we had had the two predator aliens versus predator films so admittedly you know small pleasures right you want to talk about fan service aliens versus predator except it was fan disservice because they were bad (laughs) scripts or or the bad script or or, or, no um a the first one although it had a, a an interesting concept lance hendrickson showing up and and gamely playing along yeah um, it was, it was a little too paint by numbers and it was PG-13. And then the second one was shot with the lights off among its <laughs> other problems. Not to mention, it's oddly, it's, this is a weird thing to say about a horror film or what it should be a horror film. Aliens versus, the second Aliens versus Predator film is mean. Yeah. It's just a mean spirited movie that there's, there's no... There's no pleasure to be found there. And it's a weird thing to say about a film about aliens attacking each other and humans being caught in the crossfire. But there's something well, about that movie that is just, you know, and I don't, I, I like plenty of dark things. I'm a, I'm a horror film fan. I, you know, give me, Grimm is, I'm fine with Grimm. But this was, I was watching that film going, there is not a lick of joy or hope in this movie. And I, and I, and I'm two feet away from the screen because I can't see the blasted thing. Yeah. Um, and then you have, you know, the most recent Predator film, Shane Black. I mean, the guy with the track record that, that should, and he can't make it work. No. So, and it's, by the way, it's, it's part of it's because it's not a good movie. Um, so f- we run into this stuff. Uh, the way, you know, your, your reaction, and I think is for a, a lot of justifiable reasons, getting another Battlestar Galactica movie or TV show. There's a point where you're sitting there going, Enough. Enough, or... Give me another decade before you do the thing with the thing that yeah. you couldn't get right the first time. Well, or, I mean, I think... or just didn't work for whatever reason. Even even with the best intentions or just didn't appeal to audiences, even though it was a, there are plenty of things out there that are good movies or good TV shows that hit the screen at the wrong time. And yeah. 10 years later, people are going, hey, this is actually really good. I've, I've championed the film Strange Days for decades now. Yeah. Decades now. That's yes. scary. Yeah. Um, Ray Fiennes in a science fiction movie. It's basically uh, st- it's it was set in 1999. <laughs> <clears throat> it came out in the in the early the late early 90s. Missed it by that much. Angela Bassett, Ray Fiennes. Um, it's got a fantastic has Juliette Lewis. It's science fiction and it's near future. It's it's basically the closest thing to a real life Blade Runner that right. you could get, and it's basically a film noir in a science fiction setting. I love the movie. Um, and nobody saw it. But you know what? It's like Dark City. You didn't do well at the theater, but people keep coming back to it, keep coming back to it. Wow. A lot of this stuff works that way. I'm not saying that you're going to get anybody coming back in 20 years and going the, you know, the Kevin Feige, uh, uh, the, not Kevin Feige. Paul Feige. Paul Feige. Uh, Ghostbusters has, has aged well. I don't think it's going to. But 
that's I'm definitely not saying that. Um, but the thing is, is that some things, if they come out in a different time and place, they do much, much better than when the original audience they people thought they were going to aim at. Some things just don't. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, so let's let's do this. Let's throw. We've got the Vanity Fair article up on the screen. We'll throw that up and let's take a look at some of the photographs that came out from the Vanity Fair thing. Uh, and and our first image, of course, the top of this the article. There's Mr. Paul Rudd mm-hmm. as Mr. Gruberman. I mean, if that's not an '80s movie name <laughs> for the science guy, there's there's uh, there he is. Is right his first here. name Hank? I would I would expect it. Hank Gruberman. Hank Gruberman. <laughs> so if we scroll down, then we've got. Um, uh, we've got the article, and there's the trailer, and um, and then we have uh, Finn Wolfhard opening the barn mm-hmm. and discovering Ecto-1. And then we go down a little bit further, and there's Jim Kirk driving <laughs> the Corvette toward the... The my, oh wait no wrong <laughs> wrong wrong reference right so, okay but it, we, but but it's also it's also an image that we all can we see something like that and yeah. it tells you something about you know that moment in that person's well, life and it's, it's stuff like that. this that's got people thinking coming of age movie for a piece of well this. sure well okay so we scroll down a little bit more nothing wrong with those and we get the sister this is oh what's her name um. Grace, McKenna Grace. McKenna Grace mm-hmm. thank you. Uh, as as Finn Wolfhard's sister, and she's she and her friend here. This looks like they're coming into the mine. And now, in case, if you saw the name on the mine, yes, this is the architect Shandor. Uh, this is the guy who built the apartment, who designed the apartment building, which of course was the. Um, the cause of so much difficulty. Hirsch, uh the architect of the building right. that uh, that all that was the antenna for Gozer. Right. And then you have um, the the suspicion that the strange metal mm-hmm. that was used in the building Shandor built in came New from York the mine. Came from this mine. Right. Yeah. So now you've got a tie. You've got a direct connection to mm-hmm. the first movie, and then of course you have the terror dog, right, showing yeah. up on Mr. Gruberman's car, which is a, which a lot of a lot of these things where you're you're clearly calling back to implying very strongly that maybe uh, Gozer is going to be the, the the villain. Maybe um, this is why, of course, people were getting excited about the idea of Rick Moranis coming back because if you've got the, the terror dogs, you got it. If you're gonna have you gotta have the key master. <laughs> if you don't have, you know, and and I, yeah, like I said, I get it, but but let's, you know, well, if he comes back, that's great. But don't the, don't get the irony is we're sitting there saying, well, of course it makes perfect sense for Gozer to come back, and yet you have people complaining about Palpatine coming back. So yeah, you, know, it, you can't win. No, and and the thing is, is that sometimes you feel like calling back to that works in some situations. Just like we've been talking about, there are times when going back to the going back to the original source material and giving you more of the same is the right thing to do. Mm. The trick is is that 
there's no rule that says it's going to work. Yeah. Well, and Abrams apparently has done an interview where he basically said, well, of course Palpatine has to be in the last trilogy. He's in the other two. It would only make, it would be weird if he wasn't in this last And there's an argument he made for that. He's he's such an influence mm-hmm. both on Anakin and on Luke, and now he comes back here for the last bits of things so and in all fairness to you know the 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 current crop of people behind the 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 films um one of the first thing that the comic book spinoffs did was bring palpatine back yeah uh so you know it the trick the trick always comes down to how do you handle it and in all for as much as any of anyone can sit there and make the comments that everybody makes uh, in news articles or TV or movies or, or wherever wherever we are putting our thoughts out into the world, um, sometimes it just isn't going to work. Yeah. And sometimes it's going to be fantastic. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, the reaction to the trailer has been mixed, of course. Sure. The keyboard warriors all out en masse saying, this is a terrible idea. Uh, and basically um, saying that it's a, it's a throwback to all of the, all of the, where uh, there's a, uh, Bounding into Comics has an article. They've, they've captured a number of different tweets from various different mm. people who are on that Ghostbusters 2016 camp. There in that group, that's you know that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And if you don't if like, if you it, enjoy you're a it, sexist. all power to you. But but see, if you don't like it, you're a sexist, and that's well, that's the narrative. I didn't like it, and I think that there'd be some people be hard pressed to to. But it's those people who want to defend 2016. Well, some of simply, those simply no. Wait, 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 because it's the you know again. Now, I will say. You have admitted to not being on Twitter that much. Because it's a cesspool and you shouldn't go there. Exactly, exactly. Now, the 12 psychos that are on Twitter who are in the Ghostbusters 2016 camp who think that you're a sexist for not liking Ghostbusters 2016... I will be happy to discuss your error of thought. Except, see, they won't discuss... And there are plenty of people on there are plenty of people on the other side of the political spectrum who do the same thing. However, however, um, as a fan, as a viewer of the trailer, can I say I don't care what they think? <laughs> and, and the a thing lot is, of us, a lot of us say that. But the thing is, is I also don't care. And no offense to anyone who's watching and disagrees with me, because again, I don't mean to. I, I never mean to offend. Um, and I'm sure that I managed to at some point, but if you are looking at this and going, um, you know, it's too much stranger things. I don't, I don't want it. Or I don't, I'm, I'm fine with the the first two and and Mm -hmm. I don't want it. You, if you don't want this film, fine. That's absolutely fine. I'm looking at this trailer and I'm saying to myself, as somebody who's watching a film, I was there. I saw the films in the theater. Okay. Me too. I, there's a, there's a. We've talked about this before. Same thing with Star Wars. My problem with the with the current crop of movies is not uh, whatever they do with story. I'm actually I'm going to show up and watch it and sit there and I'll either like it or I won't. But I'm never going to recapture that emotion that I caught with especially the first two. Yeah. Because I was just the right age. Ghostbusters is kind of like that for me. I look at this trailer 
and I look at the these kids having this journey of adventure and this little sense of wonder. And there's part of me which is flashing back to being that age, uh-huh. looking at this. And and that could be that could be one of the reasons why we have those kids in this movie. It could very well be. And and that's probably not a bad idea story wise. Because Jason Reitman is close to our age. Yeah. And he was there yeah. with his dad when they were making the first the mm-hmm. first movie. So he's been there from the beginning. And I look at this and I think I I don't need I don't need big laughs in this trailer. I ha- I smiled a lot watching yeah. this. You know, when the when the <laughs> when the car the door opens <laughs> and, and, the, and the, the gunner seat, the gunner seat pops out. Yeah. And and that for those of you who 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 have never seen the original two films, they're not in the films. It's based that's, that's that, in the cartoon. That's a, and it, well it wasn't even in the cartoon, it was on uh, one of the toys for the cartoon. I don't. I don't. I, I don't think it actually showed up in the cartoon. I know it showed up in, in the toy, um, but I didn't care. The look on their kid, on the kids' faces. I was just like, "Oh, that's perfect." Mm-hmm. And so, so here's the thing: this may not be a good movie. I'm. I have my. I think it's good. I. It'll be good. I'm hope, I, 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 I hope. I hope it's going to be good because yeah. right now it's hitting. It's this. Okay, trailers are designed to make you feel. A certain way, mm. they are manipulative. I bow to the power of the the, the, the very savvy editors who are behind the best ones. Yeah. There's some bad trailers out there that, and and yeah. you and I were teenagers when they were some really bad trailers out. Oh yeah, you go back and look at the trailer for for the for the Star Wars, the first Star Wars trailer. Oh yeah, or or Star, or Star Trek, Trek Two. Two. The oh. trailers are terrible, but but it to be you know again going back to that whole product of its time thing oh, yeah. no kidding. back then trailers were not made to entertain it was just here's this movie that's coming out <laughs> and it's but you and you but stuff. you think you think some of the trailers now are spoilerific some oh. of the, the trailers in the 80s and 90s were just like well i don't have to go now do i <laughs> i know what happens in this movie yeah. um and now I, I, i'm gonna save my money this this trailer does hit all the nostalgia buttons yeah um, and I think the other part of it is one of the reasons why we don't see any of the original cast is because this one focuses on Egon. Yeah. This one gives us that because for the longest time ever since, you know, since, since Harold Ramis died, the question has been, how are they going to do another one without him? Yeah. And so this one sits there and sets that up. You know, we don't get a complete answer. But it sets up the idea that we're going to get an answer of just how Egon fits into the story mm-hmm. along with everybody else, which I think is a good first step when you're saying they're going, yeah, we get it. There are a lot of different things that are going to be going on in this film. You already know that the original cast is coming back. Right. We'll save that for later. Let's, let's establish the premise first. Make that connection to Egon, and through the natural progression of ideas, family takes us to Egon, takes us to the original cast. That's what it looks like. That's how doing. I would do it. Right. And I think that there's something also to be said for if you want, if you are one of those people who wants there to be a Ghostbusters franchise at this point, if you want there to be 
more of these. Mm-hmm. And and quite frankly, um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Giving giving me a Ghostbusters film that gives me the original cast, as many as we still have, um, or willing to come along, and gives me a great exit for them, yeah. and and the the implication that the story continues. You know, um, sometimes that's all I need. Yeah. And sometimes I can sit there and go, oh, please give me another movie. So you just don't know. But It, it depends on how this movie plays out. Oh, yeah, yeah. But a couple of ways they could go is it's done, finished, mm-hmm. they all ride off into the sunset, and we right. never have any other movie ever again. Like, Until the like, inevitable reboot 20 years down the line. Well, it could be like Back to the Future, where they sit there and say, that's it, we're done, we're not right, rebooting, sure. or mm-hmm. not remaking it, ever. Or... They take this opportunity because remember Jason Reitman has been there from the beginning, mm-hmm. so he's he knows what Aykroyd had originally planned. Right, yeah. one would think this movie possibly maybe sets up what Aykroyd wanted to do to begin with, which was the Ghostbusters franchise, which opens up this story universe that now doesn't have to be sequels. Right, it can be. Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, Stargate Universe, Stargate, all of the different iterations. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you could tell those stories like Ghostbusters 2016 with a completely different team of Ghostbusters, but it's all in the same universe yeah. and they're connected without having <clears throat> to be sequels dependent on each other in terms of story. Now, I will say this, that my first thought is... Just give me a good movie here. Yeah. That I am has less, to happen first. I am less concerned about where it goes from here. Because, to be perfectly honest, um, I'm I'm okay with the fact that there's a new Halloween trilogy. Right? Mm-hmm. But if they had just given me the last Halloween film, this most recent one, where they bring Laurie Strode back, and they treat the character with respect, and they and they deal with the, the psychological ramifications of what... I mean, they, they thought about that script. Yeah. Right? And so they they make this horror film, which which pays, you know, homage to the original. It has the it has the right tension. It has the right vibe. Very well crafted film. If they had stopped right there, I would have been okay. Now, am I looking forward to the fact that apparently this smart creative team is doing more of these? Yes, excellent, great. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. But they could have stopped, yeah. and I would have been okay because it was a cap. To and the story. The fact that they did one well does not necessarily follow that they're going to make the second one well. Exactly. So there's all that, always that possibility because. Oh yeah. Well, you know, you look at you look at uh, uh, you know the the previous attempt to do the Halloween films and Rob Zombie, and I actually am a fan of Rob Zombie's music. I actually enjoy. I mean, I'm a, I shocking news, folks. I'm a little bit of a metalhead. Not a huge one. I have a. I'm, yeah, I grew up in the '80s, and a lot of heavy metal was around. And but Rob Zombie, his his music is very cinematic. He's a movie fan. Yeah. It makes it into his music. And you know, you know, it's okay if you don't like his stuff. I do. Um, and Devil's Rejects is a film that a lot of people say you know he did it. it, it it's his best film, mm-hmm. and it's a really really good crime thriller. But it's a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, which I hated because it's stupid. And you can disagree with me as well. It's okay. I, I don't. I'm not going to be. I personally thought it was a bad movie, but it was fun to watch a horror fan with a budget go make a movie and go. Well, I like Rob Zombie's music. I watched this movie. 
eh, this isn't very good. Nice try, Rob. And then Devil's Rejects comes down and is like, oh, wow. Okay. And then he makes the Halloween reboot. And I sat there and went, oh, Rob. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Don't do it. And then he made a, se- they made a worse sequel. Yeah. So you just don't know. And well, and, and you know, you, t- you talk about um, Star Wars, Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Or Colin Trevorrow. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing. Colin Trevorrow makes, uh, what's that, what that time travel, Safety Not Guaranteed, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. right? They did a little indie film, and everybody was talking about mm-hmm. Safety Not Guaranteed. And, oh, this is this new filmmaker up and coming, and he's just brilliant. Here's Jurassic Park, you know, take mm-hmm. the take the Jurassic World franchise. And and then suddenly he's doing Star Wars, and was like, hey, wait a minute, you've only got one film under your belt. This might not go well, and then it doesn't. Yeah. And Ryan Johnson the same way. Ryan Johnson had made that many films, and then they hand him the Last Jedi, and that well, didn't and, turn out well. And the thing is, is, is that you get these people who are, for whatever reason, they had a successful film, and there's a lot of you and I have made films. You and I have worked on features. Right. And there are a lot of things that work in your favor and against you in the course of a feature. And, and having some... one successful film does not mean that you're no. going to have a successful film career. No, because you, mean can... you can do it again. And there are there are filmmakers who have had the opportunity. They've had a film handed to them and they go off and they make it and through all their best intentions turn into a turn into a film that is critically panned or just doesn't do well at the box office and that's the end of their career there are a handful of film directors and I'm, I I just read an article about one of them I'm sorry I can't remember his name but he made a feature film it, he was blasted you know the film did very very poorly critically panned uh, crappy box office and he caught a lot of flack and he was done he was like mm-hmm. you know you know well, what I, Josh Trank Josh Trank is a good example of that. Josh Trank, yeah, but Josh Chronicle, and suddenly he was this brilliant new young whippersnapper that's going to have a great career. Yeah, and then well, but and then again, you also have to wonder when you look at somebody like like Josh Trank, who had other issues aside from Mm. not being prepared to have a film with a budget that big. um, Some of those are just personal issues that he's clearly dealing with or not dealing with as your case may be Um, but that film is also an example of how to really really not know the studio not really knowing what they want to do with the film because the original concept of that was Fantastic Four is body horror yeah. I mean, it was, it was as much a horror film as it was a science fiction film. Because if you look at the Fantastic Four from a certain angle, and we've talked about the angle we want, which is not this one, um, but if, you, if there's something horrific about what happens to these people. Uh, DC Comics did a riff on it in the Superman titles when the, the cyborg Superman yeah. basically yeah. started off as uh, a version of Reed Richards. Uh, and this is what, you know, the, the horrific side of what these... Because, you know... Cosmic radiation is not a thing you want to be exposed to, kids. No. Do not do not launch a rocket into space so you can turn into the the, the Fantastic Four guys. It's not going to work. Sorry. Well, and and you know you look at those directors like Brian Johnson, Josh Trank, uh, Colin Trevorrow, and Jason Reitman, who he's been hit and miss mm-hmm. in his career too. So people right. are like, yeah, okay, it's Ivan Reitman's kid, and Ivan Reitman's a producer, 
and Jason Reitman has been there from the very beginning, and out of everybody that could be making this thing, he's probably the one that knows it best. But yeah, can no he guarantee. pull it off? And there's no guarantee. The trailer, from what we're seeing in the trailer, I'm hopeful. Well, and I think that there's there's something to be said for what the trailer seems to imply we're not going to get exactly the same tone and as I the first two. And I would and I would say that that it's t- it, you don't do the same tone. In a weird way and and I don't know, you know, th- this may be a little bit of a stretch for some people, but this is what occurred to me earlier today as I'm watching it again. Um, it was kind of like Clint Eastwood doing Unforgiven. Is he built his career about a certain tone for the mm. Western. And for a long time, that's what audiences went to see. They went to see a certain kind of Western. Yeah. And Clint Eastwood's The Man With No Name, the spaghetti Westerns, right? They were There was a certain thing, and... and whether or not the films were particularly great, mm-hmm. you went for a certain feeling right. that the Western was really good at doing. Yeah. And, and then he comes along and he makes Unforgiven, which is a film which is basically all of those tropes, all of those standards of the Western run through a reality filter and then inverted. And it's there's a whether you enjoyed the film or not or seen the film or not. It turns out there's it's a lot of people. It's an excellent film. It's an excellent film, but it's also everything. It's it's all the glamour stripped away from the concept of the western, oh. and it works beautifully because there's no winking at the audience. There's no you know I'm doing this just because you know I hate westerns. No, this is this is a love letter to the western. It's just a love letter where you're sitting there going. I used to love you, and I still do, but this relationship is not good for me. Yeah. Um, there's, well, something, I mean, there's something really powerful about that story. There's a, did you, have you seen the memo that's been floating around on, on Facebook? There is, no. there is a memo. Um, Robert says, Unforgiven was filmed where he lives. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, there's a memo from somebody at the studio about that film before it was shot Mm. and it's a memo to Clint Eastwood and it's this single spaced full page rant about how terrible this script is and there's so many there's so much foul language and and this that and the other and it's violent and it's bloody and this is not a western I can't believe that the studio picked this up this is an embarrassment this is terrible I mean just went to town about how terrible the script was Mm. and you know how unbelievable it would be that the prostitutes in this town would get together and hire a gun and you know so hire somebody to go after the people that hurt the the one that you know all of this you're talking about a movie that was it's good that's it's one of the best westerns that's ever come come out in the last 40, 50 years. But you know, on the on the level that if this is somebody who watched those westerns, watched the nineteen sixties westerns, uh-huh. or grew up on Stagecoach, or you know, The Rifleman, or or Daniel Boone, or any of these things that that, that leaned into some of the the stereotypes 
and um, cliches of the Western that historians were rolling, their eyes were rolling into their heads so hard when they're watching these TV shows. But it doesn't mean they're not, or the movies, but it doesn't mean they're not fun. They're not entertaining. Yeah, they're entertaining. And, but we were, we were, we were playing into, and it's, it's entertainment folks again, so leaning into the myth of the West, right? Well, and I think Unforgiven, Unforgiven is also the, the grown-up old man's Western. Because John Wayne did kind of the similar thing with the cowboys and with the shootist. Well, especially with the shootist. Where it's, you know, we're at the end of our our run mm-hmm. and it's been an okay run, but you look back on it and was it really? Right. And you get that same kind of thing with Eastwood doing Unforgiven where you look back a lot of what makes that movie work is Clint Eastwood's Western history. Yeah, yeah. You know, the fact that he's been in so many mm-hmm. and he's, he's played that character. He's believable of that character. It, needs, yeah. it, gives, it gives the film a certain weight. Now, it is not my favorite Clint Eastwood film. It will always be Pale Rider because it's a Western horror movie. Mm. Not, I, I didn't realize that when I was a kid when I was watching it, but the yeah. older I get, the more, you know, if you... You, uh, spoiler alert for for uh, a film where <clears throat> Clint Eastwood is not playing a live human being. <clears throat> <laughs> He's the angel of death, kids. Well, and you talk about you know tone, the difference in tone between this Ghostbusters and the other two. Yeah. If you really stop and think about it, the other two they didn't have the same tone either. Oh yeah, I know. Because your first one was light-hearted supernatural horror. Mm-hmm. The second one leaned more into the comedy. Yeah. Especially with Peter McNichols' performance. Yeah. A little over the top. Just a hit. And a hit. I think the idea of the ooze, it's an intriguing notion. Mm. But leaning that heavily into comedy for that film, I think is to its detriment. If they had if they had kept the same sense of humor and the same tone of the first one for the second one, I think it would have worked a whole lot better. Well, and you look at you look at the the fact that horror and comedy are very very similar in terms of structure. Mm. And when you're when you're doing a comedy, you're doing a horror horror film, they have the same kind of setup build punchline release right right and and it's the same thing for horror uh it, it, they're they're the same so which is why comedy and horror often work so well together um but it's a balancing act that you really have to get and i think that that's one of the other other sins of the 2016 which was it leaned so far into the comedy and so much into the physical comedy mm-hmm. um that they forgot that there were supposed to be moments your audience is supposed to jump because there's a ghost, and ghosts should be a little bit scary. Well, to give you a sense of you know uh, an ah moment. Not just there, that, not, but there were no there were no ah moments. The the ooze that's under the city, you know that that should if they had played it like the blob, hmm. you know hmm. where this this thing that's under the under the city. 
is it's feeding off of the emotions and the anger and the whatever, yeah, right. and, it's, and it's accelerating and it's augmenting and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. If it was somehow connected in some way, that oh, this is you know these old stories of this this easy blob thing, you know, because the horror of the blob is it's inexorable. It's not right, going. Yeah. You can't stop it. It's right. wiping out everything. Mm-hmm. If you had approached the ooze the same way, where it's down there and it could start destroying and 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 you know seeping up and killing sure. everything that's much scarier than you know what we got yeah which well was not scary i mean and, and you and when you consider that one of the climactic scenes of the original film is an ancient sumerian death god has come through a rip in the universe mm. to destroy the world and the only thing standing between Humanity and utter annihilation are these four morons. Yeah. The humor is, you know, it's it's the ridiculousness of the situation, right. and, but the, not how it's played. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the. I mean, when you're faced with this you know, entity, you know. <laughs> Somebody asks Ray, you if you're a god, <laughs> you say yes, yes. and and. That's a large part, I think, of really what made it work is, is that here are people who are vastly unqualified to save the world. Yeah. And yet they're in that position. And they realize they're the only ones who can do it. And they're willing. Which is really just, I mean, you kind of, there's, a, there's a grand comedic tradition in, in storytelling and in films of the... Of the reluctant hero, or the hero oh, who is com- well, all right. Nobody else will do it. I guess yeah. I will. And so, there's a lot of that in the first Ghostbusters, and I think not enough of it in the second Ghostbusters. And then the first one, the humor is not forced. It comes naturally and organically as part of the interactions yeah. with the characters. Yeah, and I think that you end up with characters like Bill Murray, you know, who who built a career on being sarcastic, mm-hmm. and there's that edge to it. That you know the 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 jerky friend, yeah, and we there's all had one. There's something to that 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 plays really well against the you know you know it over the top enthusiasm of Ray and Egon, yeah. you know, who are just like you know this is so cool. It's like Peter's like no, it's really not. <laughs> Ray, Ray, he slimed me, Ray. Yeah. I mean, this is the you know. The kind of reaction, it's, it's, there's, and it's hard to capture that stuff twice or three times or anything yeah. like that. And it's, it's really, really tough. And this is why, this is why when you remake a beloved property, um, you go back to, to tell that story again, Star Wars, uh, the Alien movies, Halloween, anytime you're going back, you know, uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica, anytime you're going back and you're uh, trying to... If you're trying to recapture that magic, good bloody luck. Yeah. Because it's hard. Now, what you you and then you do something different, like you know, you lean into you lean into the, the terrifying aspects that the TV show alluded to in Fantasy Island. Mm-hmm. You had those darker moments in the TV show. The new movie is going to sit there and go, "You think that's dark?" Um, but the the remake with Malcolm McDowell 
also lean into the to the scarier, darker things too. Right. And I actually, I actually enjoyed the remake with Malcolm McDowell. But part of that's just because it's Malcolm McDowell. It's Malcolm McDowell who showed even you, know, you kind of want to see. Here's here's the crossover I want. I want all three Mr. Rourke's <laughs> in a Mr. Rourke because unfortunately, I think Michael Pena is going to come up short. Yeah. Because I mean, uh, although he's a comedic actor. Right, More and I, than anything else. But comedic actors can also lean heavily into horror because, again, you know, the Robin Williams leaning into, you know, one-hour photo, yeah, and just being terrifying. Um, so there's there's something to be said for for having that, but don't go think don't go in thinking whatever this new Ghostbusters turns out to be. As a fan, if you're a fan, please try, please try, and let it stand on its own as its own thing, good or bad. If you're expecting it to hit you in the nostalgia place, just like the first one, it can't. Right. But it's going to be something I'm I'm tentatively excited about it. I enjoyed this trailer. That and the Wonder too. Woman trailer. I do too. I, I like them both. And I, and I think each one of them, for different reasons, taps mm. into that nostalgia factor in a way that is reassuring that this is not going to turn into the tongue-in-cheek parody that we've gotten before. Right, yeah. Um, Starsky and Hutch had a lot of potential to be Starsky and Hutch. Mm-hmm. Instead, it was Starchy and Hup. I mean, it was it was completely... You remember the drunk? He always called him Starchy and Hup. Um... Or you know, the 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 Dukes of Hazard. The Dukes of Hazard was a terrible movie. Now, admittedly, um, um, if you think about the source material, not for Starsky and Hutch, definitely with Dukes of Hazard, there isn't actually a whole lot uh, to the Dukes of Hazard storylines. In fact, um, pretty much the song is the plot. Well, yeah. But that said, Starsky and Hutch. I, th- I think, unfortunately, what ends up is that Starsky and Hutch is you end up getting it grows up into Miami Vice. For good or yeah, for ill. Maybe. Um, and then you see well, and speaking of of, of Are you things, talking about the buddy cop yeah. genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it okay, sort of it sort sure. of ends up turning into that. And then once you get once you get to the Miami Vice, that's it was so iconic. It was yeah. so it, the stylization, the color, the lighting, all the things, the clothes, all the stuff that made Miami Vice the huge hit that it was. That it ends up being so overpowering in terms of the psyche of what we expect this stuff to look like. Mm. That you get something like Starsky and Hutch that I would almost want to see Starsky and Hutch be a gritty period piece. Treated completely seriously. Like French Connection type? Yeah. Almost like that where you'd have that sort of real just kind of you know, don't don't even because there's there's too much style as Miami Vice was stylized to the point of being too smooth. Yeah. And when they tried to do the gritty quote unquote gritty reboot movie, movie version, they did a lot of things that just didn't work. I didn't even I, I admit it, I didn't see it. I, I had no either. I had zero interest. You know, if you're doing Starsky and Hutch as a comedy mm-hmm. that was already done, it was called Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you do a funny, yeah, yeah, quote unquote, buddy cop 
show. Oh, no kidding. You know, Starsky and Hutch, the movie that we got, Starsky and Hutch, not the way you're supposed to do it. No, but again, we talked about this before. It's the idea that that the because these things don't necessarily age well, they become unintentionally funny. Uh, as we get, as you know, they, we move out of that period of how television was done, or how the culture changes, or whatever it is, that some of this stuff ends up being really, really ridiculous in retrospect. However, it was the people who fell in love with it at the time weren't looking at it that way. Although, and some I, of it, you know, some of it was I ridiculous back, then too. I've, I've got some of Starsky and Hutch on on DVD, mm-hmm. and I've I've watched a few episodes and. For the most part, they still hold up. I mean, you've Starsky got... Starsky Hutch is one of the least offend the, the I don't I don't think it's we're I'm thinking more like Dukes of Hazard and and these remakes where they think that you know if we just if we just laugh at it all, mm-hmm. and then you have something like Twenty One Jump Street, which turned out to be a really really smart comedy that poked fun at the TV show, but it did it with a sense of we love the TV show, yeah. and so we we know where we know where the funny bits are, and we're going to play with that. And which is why Twenty One Jump Street actually was a successful comedy, uh, let alone a you know remake, a reboot, or whatever with the mm. the original TV show. You know, it it understood that the the people who were making it were fans and were fans for they weren't looking back at it and go, God, this is. This is so stupid. Let's make a t- movie. Can you imagine? <sighs> Which is what happened. Can you imagine a remake now of the streets of San Francisco? Given what San Francisco looks like now and what they're having to deal with now, you could not make a comedy reboot of the streets of San Francisco. You talk about gritty and dark. Um. I don't know. Could be interesting. <laughs> I, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of old TV that I think that you could take the concept of it and bring it into either doing it as a, a period piece set in that time period as long as you were treating it. I think in most cases you could treat it. Um, if it's a drama, treat it like a drama. But if you're if you're looking at something that you know taking things. In a comedic route, I think there's 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 stuff to mine there, but I just don't know if some of this stuff I mean, is gonna. If your if your city is covered in drug paraphernalia and human waste, it's hard to make comedy out of that unless you're going completely, pardon the pun, in the gutter comedy. But there's an audience for that. I uh, just I just don't I don't know that I would necessarily I wouldn't want to see be it. on I, board with it. I think a straight remake uh, or a straight update where you have Michael Douglas come back and play his same character and it's a sequel. Hmm. It's a continuation of the story, not a refresh or a reboot or a recall or whatever. You know, maybe he's the police commissioner now. And, you know, the Carl problem, Walden's photo is on his desk. The problem is that some of the stuff ends up being, and, and I'm not saying this is wrong, because we may get this with the new Ghostbusters film and it might work, is the passing of the torch scene. Yeah. Into the next generation. Which is, by the way, not a new thing. This was stuff that was going on a million years ago. There was a TV show called The Avengers. It did not involve superheroes. It was a British TV show about um, 
John Steed John, and Emma Peel, among other. Uh, he John Steed was the was the through he, he was the character who was through everything. He had a multitude of, of uh, associates. Emma Peel, of course, is the most famous one. Yeah. Uh, the there was the New Avengers, which is when the show came back, mm. and he was essentially the he had his moments to shine. He was Charlie in that one. He was Charlie in that one, and it did not have the same kind of. Uh, uh, just the the magic wasn't there anymore. Now that said, it was still a better TV show than the Rafe Fiennes, uh, Sean Connery, Uma Thurman film uh, was a good movie because it was not a good movie. Yeah. Although there is something to be said for seeing Sean Connery in a bear costume. I'm not sure what it says, but there's something to be said about that. Uh, Robert points out Indiana Jones, the passing of the torch in Indiana Jones, which wrong. passing the torch to the wrong person. Uh, I, well, you know what? I am hearing. Uh, speaking of Shia LaBeouf, I am hearing some really good things about him in these last two films, Honey, Honey Boy, yeah. and the Peanut butter falcon or yeah. something like that now, now a lot of these really good interviews if, if you have I, I am not a Shia, uh, Shia LaBeouf fan for a lot of his work but yes there's been a lot of good discussion about the fact that he is he's had a very very troubled life mm-hmm. and he's been very very public for a good chunk of that life which has not made it easy but with these last two films apparently there's a real sense of him getting and who knows how this is going to play out but there's a real sense of him getting a better understanding of who he is and getting some help for his issues i got therapy when i was 30 yeah. i'm going to and, and we've talked about on this show before about mental health and dealing with your mental health it seems to be making him be able to use his talent the way he wants to in these... Well, he wrote Honey Boy, I believe. Yeah, it's his, it's it's and part. He's it's playing his dad. It's yeah, it's semi autobiographical. Yeah. Most it's it's kind of his life. Um, and then uh, I can't really remember the young actor he's playing with uh, the, who has Down syndrome in the in the other in and, the, yeah, the yeah. Peter And apparently, working with this with this uh, young man has been really good for Sheila LaBeouf. And has really been in terms of being have having someone who who is looking at him and going, really? Are you sure? There's no there's no pretense. There's no there's no looking at him as a a, a star. He's just looking at him as a person. Mm. And apparently, this has been really really uh, good for the two of them to have to play off each other and, and to have this friendship that apparently is formed. So I wish him nothing but the best. But in the film where he was basically playing Indiana Jones's son. This was not the moment. This was not the person. No. Um, and maybe, maybe, you know, 10 years from now, Sheila Buff is that guy. But he wasn't in Kingdom of the Crystals. If you're going to pass, pass the torch to anybody, you pass it to Short Round. I think I so. I would watch a Short Round movie. Oh, yeah. It's, it would, it's in continuity. Mm-hmm. It's a character that uh, is one of the best parts of a grim, grim... And, oh, yeah, don't get it. <laughs> and you talk about being able to pull off an 80s aesthetic, oh, yeah. a short-round movie, make it an 80s aesthetic, you know, make it like an 80s movie. And see, and that's funny because when Spielberg was talking about making uh, Indiana Jones 4, mm-hmm. 
He said there was a lot of things because he'd gone past all of that. I mean, he'd moved on Schindler's List, right? Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, all these big, these epic, big films, right? Mm -hmm. And coming back to the Indiana Jones franchise, he basically had to unlearn all of his experience in order to make a Steven Spielberg movie right, yeah. again, right? Um, and and you know a lot of comparisons, a lot of, a lot of people compare Stranger Things uh, to The Goonies as yeah, well. Sure. I mean, The Goonies is is got that that vibe to it too. And by the way, the folks who make Stranger Things have no, have are not hiding their influence. They are more right. than happy to talk about the things that influence. It's them. a this, tribute. Yeah, this is this is the stuff that inspired them. Yeah. You know, give them give them nineteen eighties movies. Give them Stephen King. Give them you know, this is all this stuff that is very much. This is the stuff that we love. We've made a TV show about the things we love. And yes, it's all of these things. So besides Ghostbusters, you know, we've mm. mentioned Alien, and we've mentioned Predator, and we've mentioned Halloween and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, outside of film and television, yeah. that time period, from a literary standpoint... What horror has survived, has aged well enough that it's something that you could recommend? Because well, certainly you know, a lot of Stephen King came out of the '80s, yeah. and and we're getting this King Renaissance, right? So it came out in the '80s, and um, you look at some of the. What's curious is that some of the bigger name authors of the '80s didn't necessarily take off at the time. Uh, Peter Straub, um, his stuff still holds up really well. Yeah. And but Ghost Story was the movie adaptation of his novel Ghost Story. Um, it is a relatively forgettable horror movie. Mm. Um, but Who he's wrote Coma. Um, that was is that Michael Crichton? No, no. Coma was Cook. Robin Cook. Robin Cook. Robin Cook. See, Robin Cook did all of the medical right, and and, and Michael mystery. Crichton did some as well. Uh, but yeah, but Crichton didn't do horror. No, not at, really. Outside no. of Jurassic Park, and and Cook got a few TV movies. Mm -hmm. I think were mostly done. Um, there are there were some British there were some British authors in the eighties who ended up uh, uh, Kim Newman, amazing British author. Uh, he does. Uh, he's. You can find his movie reviews on. He does a, his, his day job. Is, is he's a movie reviewer. Oh, okay. Um, well, his day job is he's a novelist and he gets paid to be a movie reviewer, uh, <laughs> and gets paid for his books. Um, his stuff really started coming out in the '80s, and it was a slow burn kind of thing, right. where he never got. He's never gotten like the, the gigantic recognitions, especially in the states, um, as some of like you know King or Coombs or any of those guys, um, but. It's a slow burn thing that if you're a fan, he every couple of years he puts out this like really really amazing, you know, weird bizarre. Here's a vampire novel, and here's a small town mayor who's a psychotic. You know, all these weird things, um, and they're br they're generally brilliant. But um, it, there was um, James Herbert. There's a there's a new James Herbert. Um, Adaptation coming out, and I can't remember what it's which one it is. But James Herbert was a, a another British author. Who did who wrote the Bone Collector? Uh, Bone Collector was um, because there's a new adaptation of that. It's a series, which is good because as much as I enjoyed uh, the Bone Collector movie, 
a lot of that was the basis of the cast. It's not a great adaptation. I've, I've read mo- a lot of the books. That series is coming. I want to say it's coming to Amazon, but I don't know. Which is actually, I mean, because um, that's a really, really interesting series. That it's when not you, necessarily horror, but no. Well, it, um, it's got horror elements. It's got yeah. It definitely has horror elements. It's basically crime thrillers, but the 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 killers in them are very much um, the worst. They're, I mean, the yeah. e- evil with a capital E. Patricia Cornwell. Mystery novelist, mystery mostly. She's done a couple her, of science fiction things. Well, her her K. Scarpetta series, mm-hmm. um, there, her main character, K. Scarpetta, is a medical examiner. And I read, I devoured those books. Sure, yeah. Read mm-hmm. them up until, up until the point where they got really, really weird. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading, and I can't even remember which one it was. It was something like the twelfth or thirteenth book. I mean, it was really far into the series. Yeah. And I'm and you, reading. It you and think I'm it's thinking, tough maintaining movies quality over time? You put out be a best-selling author who's got well, a contract to put out X number of books. It well, it it followed the natural progression of the story arc. Sure. But it did it in a way that made me wonder if she had had some sort of a breakdown or an, uh, or had been exposed to some sort of chemical agent or something because the books just went weird. Huh. And violent and ugly and Scarpetta went and became this character who just was not sympathetic at all. I mean, mm-hmm. everything went sideways. And I thought, what? Is, what is this? Yeah. This is not very good at all. It's still, you know, I, I finished the book. But after that, I, you know, it soured me to the rest of the series. I'm like, well, I don't know that I want to read the next one because right. this is not very good. Uh, Jeffrey Deaver, by the way, is the book. Okay, I've heard of that name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if if you haven't checked out his series, his Lincoln Rhyme series, uh, they're quite good, um, and it's a very interesting. You know, just like in the film, the character is paralyzed, and so he basically has to solve these crimes, and basically be a target for people who are like, "Oh, here's a very clever person who keeps getting in our way, mm-hmm. and he can't move." There's um, along came a spider, the cross. Yeah, the yeah, cross the Alex Cross was the problem Which with more mystery, but. Yeah, and and this is an interesting thing because when when you had uh, Morgan Freeman playing the part, mm. um, by the way, way too old to yeah. play the part. A- amazing actor. I, I this is, but but Morgan Freeman, the character is about twenty years, thirty years younger in the books, and they have really had a hard, hard time making this jump to film with an accurate. Um, a faithful, well-cast, well-produced film. Yeah. The, 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 what, two films? I think you just did, I think you just did two. Uh, with Morgan Freeman are very entertaining. I, I enjoyed them. But they're not great adaptations of the source material. You know what could have had the potential of horror? You talk about body horror. Mm-hmm. Logan's Run. And you know, we, 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 for God knows how many years they've been trying to do a new Logan's Run film. Um, and 
Because interestingly enough, the, if you've seen the original film, it's not a great adaptation of the book. Mm. And the book has sequels. There's what, three? Three or four in the series? And basically it's... They, they're in space by the end. I mean, it's like, you know, there's a... The John Logan? Is that his name? No, not mm-hmm. John Logan. I um, can't remember the name of the guy who actually wrote Logan's one. Um, but... I mean, it's an. It was an. It was a. You know, there was. It was the first part of an arc, yeah. and the film is very much a product of its time. Um, and the TV show is. Well, there was a TV show called Logan's Run. Did you? I know, cannot recommend it. Did you know that there is a Star Trek horror novel? Actually, there's two. There's 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 two that I can. It think wouldn't of surprise right me. Right off the top of my head. Um, one of them is called Dreams of the Raven. Mm-hmm. And Dreams of the Raven basically is an alien race that are bird-like. They have beaks mm-hmm. and whatnot. And they kill their victims and eat their brains and then can take on the personality of that person that they've... Oh, lovely! Mm-hmm. This is Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Well, Star Wars has its 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 zombie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Z- zombie stormtroopers. For those and, and for those of you who who have seen or have not seen the Star Trek Discovery short treks, their little mm-hmm. yeah things, they just recently did one um, called "The Trouble with Edward. Edward." Yeah, I laughed so hard because it's it's it was it is it is it makes no illusions it is meant to be a straight up star trek comedy and the best part though was the ad for the serial at the end yeah which you know the it's clearly made by people who sat there and went oh but wouldn't that be funny if mm-hmm. and i thought it worked pretty well but the the thing about horror for stuff like when you when you and i can't remember the name of the the other the, one the other star trek was called demons it's basically kind of a vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember that stuff. one. Um, is that it's Star Trek did horror? It did Red uh, Red Jack, the the Devil Inside. Was that? That's not it. Uh, Wolf in the Fold. Wolf in the Fold. Thank you. Yeah. Um, excellent, that, excellent episode. And it it very much leans into the horror. And there was also the one where, oh, jeez, the. They end up on the little. Uh, it's the Halloween. It, it's basically the cat's paw. Cat's paw. It's the Halloween yeah. episode, um, and and the comic books they lean more into it. Red Jack came back in the DC mm-hmm. line. Yeah, um, I think Howard Weinstein was part of that storyline. No, no, um, Howard Howard is a novelist. Yeah, not right, 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 not right. the film. I know. It's just like, uh, which that's a different kind of horror. Um, but but the. Uh, um, so there's ways to do it, and they, and they've done it pretty well. Where they've actually given the, you know, and, and parts of I think there were some. Uh, certainly, there's horrific elements in. Uh, oh, just the Borg. I mean, the concept of some of this stuff, the body horrors, and but even then, you know, the Borger are, sorry, kids, but the Borger clearly inspired by the Cybermen who got there first. Yeah. Uh, but even the Cybermen got away from the body horror for a long time. It took them... Well, and Doctor Who was scary for a, a 
and depending and depending on stories yeah yeah and and depending on well and especially in the tom baker the the hitchcliffe years Mm -hmm. where they leaned heavily it was very much hammer horror film inspired um you know there was a time they you know hiding behind the hiding behind the sofa was something that you might do at a little older age than you thought because they were very much going let's let's make this a scary show well, of course, you've got Dracula and you've got Frankenstein. Yeah, but you look at, I think that, again, Universal tried to bring back the the monsters and for some reason felt Tom Cruise should be a part of this. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with the Invisible Man. I'm, I mean, I'm intrigued. It look, I mean, it, part of it is, is it looks like they're going to lean into the psychological horror part with mm-hmm. the idea that the guy's dead. And the, the, this is just in the trailer. The boyfriend, the, the ex, the ex, the abusive ex appear is died, and and so quite understandably, when weird things start happening, the first thought is not, "My ex is invisible." Yeah. It's you know, what it, what's going on? So it looks like they're going to lean into that a little bit, which is which is good, and I think they're going to turn it into at that point. You know, the the there's a certain element of personal horror. I think part of the problem with like adapting the original Wells story is that there's not a lot of reason to be sympathetic or care about that character in the story mm-hmm. for a, for a movie audience. There's right. just not a whole lot, um, and because he had already gone mad by that point. Yeah, and it's, so much. it's really really hard. I mean, and you can do that. You can take the audience along with you. Ray Fiennes did the film Spider uh, 20 years ago, I guess, uh, which is told basically from the point of view of a schizophrenic man. And it's a very odd movie, but it's meant to be. Um, But it's the... I just don't know that you could do that kind of. I mean, you probably could. I mean, if in the hands of the right person, but yeah, it would it would yeah, be a it'd be it'd be a risk yeah. for an audience. Robert mentions the vampire in the Buck Rogers. The space oh, yeah. vampire, the space Nosferatu. Yeah, but and and uh, <laughs> there were some people who were kind of hoping that we would get, um, and I was briefly one of them when we were getting Night Flyers, um, mm-hmm. uh, and it so completely went off the rails, which was not terribly surprising. The first adaptation of Night Flyers is a very eighties movie. Yeah, it's not good, but I have a soft spot in me for the film because it's it's very much a product of my teenagers. Um, there's a talk about doing a life force again, doing life force. Oh yeah, that's been around. They've been talking about that for a while. Yeah, and and I think that once when you lead with your your main villain being a beautiful woman walking around naked for most of the film. Yeah. You make a mark that it's hard for anything to come. <laughs> yeah, you can't go. E- you and can't go either way with that. And it's so full of like the best of British actors at the time. I mean, there, there's like so many British, amazing British actors in the movie. Patrick Stewart no. uh, is in that film, among other people. That uh, no matter what you do, you're going to end up with somebody that's so different that it's immediately going to be divisive. Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 I think that's good actually. If, if you do it, you should go back to the source material a little more. Don't lean Hooper, into the, don't don't lean into Toby Hooper. Yeah. I, Toby Hooper is is a great is often a very inter- I'm gonna say great often a very entertaining filmmaker. He's done some really really great stuff. Some of it is not particularly high quality filmmaking. And but some and some of it he maybe did 
and maybe not. Yeah. But um, you don't necessarily want to... Well, okay. If you're going to remake the Texas Chainsaw Massacre... Again. Don't remake the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Tell a new story. You want to do... You want to... You want to... Um, uh, Clearly, we were able to do it with things like like Halloween and maybe Nightmare on Elm Street if we get that again, or maybe we get it in Friday the 13th or whatever. But sometimes you can tell these stories freshly. You can't. Well, if you're going to do that, it's just just start start from scratch. Tell tell me tell me something. Well, new. interestingly enough, there there have been some attempts. Uh, there were two films called The Collector and the the Collector and the Collection, I think. Mm. Um, and they were you had two. It was almost a, I guess, two counts as a series. Um, sure. And they were entertaining. And they were kind of warped and weird and, and nasty and unpleasant horror movies that often had humor and things like that. Um, and they made two films and, and they were either the, the money wasn't coming in enough or the budget returned, whatever the, well, probably came down to money, of course. Sure. Um, does. But then, you know, that doesn't necessarily, there's no clamoring that I'm aware of, for The Collector 3, mm. you know. Um, and yet you, uh, for some reason, you just you just don't know. Why is Jason so popular? Friday the 13th is an adequate slasher movie, but it captured the imagination. It's, I, I think it's lighting in a bottle, right place, mm -hmm. right time type of thing. And then oddly enough, you, you spend the rest of the series trying to recapture the lightning in the bottle. Yeah. Which is why we can't get a good, a, a new, good Hellraiser movie. One, one series of films that I think might benefit hmm. from having a horror element mm -hmm. because it's kind of dystopian future-ish anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And it sort of kind of leans into the to the, to the horror some, mm -hmm. but not nearly enough. Is the FP series <laughs> because because I mean if you if you stop and consider when you lose the dance off you die you could really but with as much as we enjoyed the FP series you cannot you, you add vampires to it you the first one is so just. Uh-huh. <laughs> All the things. And the second one is just a little bit less. And I'd be so afraid that the third one would just not be... But see, that's why I say you you augment... <laughs> you really lean into You'd the horror You'd have to lean into aspects. it. That, would, that could be, that could be very... Uh, uh, I think that if you really played it up and did it like... You just push it into the Mad Max... Yeah. Uh, territory yeah. really, really hard. But you, do, but you do the horror side. Yeah. And then the fourth one, and then the fourth one brings in zombies. Of course. So everybody that's died from the dance-offs, yeah. they all come back. They get revived uh, by this and then you virus. Get zombie da dance-offs. That's right. Because zombie. FP. And if you haven't seen the FP, folks, uh, oh god, you see, need and that one called that one gets FP. called FPZ. Well, of course. Easy, you know, right, 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 right. Yes, um, the the. Um... 
I love it. Actually, I'm, should I'm, we end on that note? Oh, we got to end yeah, on that note. I don't know where we can go right. from that, but so that was that's uh, that's gonna do it for us. This discussion of <laughs> Ghostbusters and other scary things. Um, for those of you who are just finding our channel, don't forget, uh, we do appreciate it if you would hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell so you know when we put new content out there. Uh, if you would, please join the Thumbs Up Brigade and help us offset that one disgruntled person who keeps watching and thumbs downing everything that we do. Can't please everybody, not even going to try. Eventually, you got to get a life, man. All right, that's going to do it for us. It is the internet. Oh, it is the internet. That's true. All right. <laughs> Good night, everyone. We'll be back Thanks next week. Thanks for watching. Copyright 2019 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.